we ask that that would be our response today, that we would respond to the most glorious gift that has ever been given, that we would respond to the gift of your Son in faith, in worship, in love, in joy, in gratitude. Father, we pray that your word and your spirit would move, would, would work in our hearts and in our minds today. Lord, show us what we do not yet see. We pray that you would lead us yet into more greater expressions of joy and trust in Christ. Lord, let this time not be wasted. Use it for your glory. Use it to change us and to make us more like Christ. And we pray it all in Jesus' good name. Amen. If you have a Bible, please open to Matthew chapter 2. Um, this morning, we're going to be talking about and thinking about gifts, gifts, presents. And with today being Christmas Eve, that's a very appropriate topic. And I think it's fair to say that we are a people who love gifts. We love gifts. We love to receive gifts. We do, especially when you don't know what's in the box as you're opening it and the joy and the anticipation and the excitement. We love to receive gifts. We love to give gifts. It's a, it's a joy to see somebody opening a gift that you have chosen, that you believe they're just going to love. And hopefully you're right. Hopefully you're right. They open and they are so excited to receive this gift that you have chosen and wrapped for them. We love to receive gifts. We love to give gifts and we love to return gifts. We love to, and that's okay. That's okay. There are some gifts that need to be returned. Maybe it's the wrong size. It's the wrong color. It's the wrong thing altogether. That's fine. But did you know that the Bible describes God as the ultimate perfect, glorious gift giver. And God's gifts are always perfect. They are always good and excellent. They never need to be returned or exchanged because God always knows what His people need. God always knows what will be good for His children and what will bring glory and honor to to his name, okay? This is why Paul would write with such joy and excitement in 2 Corinthians 9.15 saying, thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. Some translations uh, just, uh, translate it as thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Have you ever given a gift like that? Have you ever given a gift that is inexpressible, that is indescribable? Have you ever given a gift that it just it can't be fully explained and described because it's so wonderful? It's so amazing. Have you ever given a gift so good that it just takes a, a multitude of words to even begin to explain it? I haven't. You can ask my daughter sitting right there and she will tell you I have never given her a gift quite like that. In fact, my gifts are the opposite of inexpressible. They are expressible. Some would even say easily expressible. Watch, I'll try. Legos, a sweatshirt, an Amazon gift card, a coupon to Culver's. And that's, and that's just what I got for my wife. I'm just kidding. I didn't get her anything. Uh, yet, 
Yet, it's early in the day. Yet, yet. She's in serving in twos and threes this morning, so she doesn't know any of this is happening. That's fine. But the point is, the gift of Jesus Christ and God's love and wisdom and grace, sending His Son to be a Savior, our Savior, the Savior we need, that is a gift that defies full description. That is a gift of infinite value and significance. That is a gift it truly does. It towers above every other gift. And this is why you've probably noticed this. In fact, you probably noticed this this morning. This is why there is more than one Christmas song that we sing to celebrate the coming of Jesus. It takes lots of songs, lots of lyrics, lots of melodies to even begin to describe the glory and the grace and the love of Jesus Christ. The fact is, for all of eternity, we will rejoice and we will marvel at the person and the work of Jesus Christ. For all of eternity, we will rejoice and we will marvel at the grace of God in sending His Son to be our Savior. We will never reach the end of the riches of Christ and His grace. And here's the exciting part, brothers and sisters. We're supposed to start doing that right now. We're supposed to start doing that now, rejoicing and marveling at the grace and the glory of Christ. We start now and we never stop. Hopefully that's what we've been doing this morning. I hope in your heart and mind that's what's been happening and I hope it never stops. I hope it continues from this day forth and forevermore. It's, it's kind of like this. Do you remember what Jesus said to the Samaritan woman in John chapter 4 when they were at the well talking about water and her need for living water? And Jesus said this to her in John 4.10. He said, if you knew the gift of God. Now, stop there for just a moment. That's a curious thing for Jesus to say, isn't it? If you knew the gift of God, because the point is, she didn't yet. She didn't yet understand what the gift of God was. She didn't understand the gift. She didn't understand who it was that was talking to her. And Jesus wanted her to know. Jesus wanted her to understand the gift of God. And so Jesus says to her, if you knew the gift of God, look at this, and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Brothers and sisters, Jesus is the gift of God. He is the giver of living water, eternal life to all who ask, to all who trust and believe in him. It sounds so silly to say it this way, but I'll say it this way. Jesus truly is the gift that keeps on giving. Because remember that 700 years before Jesus was ever born, the prophet Isaiah wrote these words, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. A son is given. Yes, in Bethlehem a child was born and a son was given, sent from the Father into the world. And from this son comes all of the incredible realities that Isaiah writes about and looks forward to. He writes, uh, to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder 
And His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of the increase of His government and of peace. There will be no end on the throne of David and over His kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. And notice what Isaiah writes next. He says, And the goodness of mankind will accomplish this. No! No, clever politicians and good financial planning will make it so. No, wrong again. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. God will do this. Yahweh will do this. The great I am will make it so. God will give the gift of himself, the gift of Emmanuel, God with us. God will give the gift that defies full explanation because it is too glorious. God will give this gift that leads to every other gift. Please note it on your outline. Jesus is the son, the son that was given and from him come countless gifts and blessings. And as we've seen over these past few weeks in our Christmas series, we've seen that Jesus is the I am. He is the light, the life, the way. And for this morning, we see that he is the gift. And the funny thing about a gift is that a gift is not earned. In fact, if you've earned it, it's like a paycheck. It's like wages that is coming to you. We did not earn or deserve the coming of Jesus. We did not deserve to have Jesus come to save us, but he came in the fullness of grace and truth to be our Savior. And this is a gift that God must give, that we must receive by faith. This is why John writes in John 1.12, but to all who did receive him, to all who did receive him, like the woman at the well, like Chris Fritz, like Rob Blair, like Matt Mitchell, like the people who live in Hamilton County, to all who did receive him, who believed in his name. What does God give? He gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Again, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. The point is, this is all a testimony to the grace of God. Brothers and sisters, and I, tr- I trust that you already know this. Hope this is not news to you. No one in heaven will ever look around and smugly say to themselves, I deserve to be here. I deserve. No, no. Everyone in the glories of heaven will fall down before the Lamb who was slain, the Son who came to deliver His people. It is all to the praise of His glory, not ours. And so for this morning, for just a few minutes, we want to look at Matthew chapter 2. Just a few moments as we look at these mysterious wise men, these magi from the east who brought gifts to Christ. Um, Now, they didn't bring gifts to Jesus while He was still in the manger, but they did bring gifts while Jesus was yet very young, about two years old. And we want to look at this scene here in Matthew 2, because the gifts that were given show us something about how we should respond to Christ. The gifts that were given reveal something of the greatness and the glory of Jesus. The gifts that were given point 
to the mission and the work of Christ. So if you're in Matthew chapter 2, look at verses 1 and 2. We read, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men, or maybe your translation says magi, wise men, magi from the east, came to Jerusalem saying, and this verb, in case you were curious, it is in the present continuous tense, meaning that they were continually saying, they were continually asking all around Jerusalem, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. So please note this on your outline. These wise men, they are confidently seeking the rightful king, the recently born king of the Jews. They want the rightful king as opposed to whom? As opposed to the puppet king, King Herod, that was installed uh, by the powers in Rome to help control and oppress the people of Israel there in Jerusalem. Now, these wise men, they are not Jews, they are Gentiles. But they have come to honor. They have come to worship the newly born king because somehow they know that this one is worthy of their searching, worthy of their seeking. He is worthy of their time and worthy of their attention. He is worthy of their gifts. He is worthy of their treasure. And he is even worthy of their worship. So who were these wise men who were these magi. We can't say a lot about them with absolute certainty, but what we can say is this, please note this on your outline, the title wise men or magi generally refer to men from the Babylonian empire, men who studied a variety of topics, including the stars, dreams, ancient writings, prophecies, etc. Daniel, uh, the prophet Daniel, who himself spent much time in Babylon, in exile. Daniel makes reference to these individuals in Daniel chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 4, and chapter 5. And it's entirely possible that these wise men from one generation to the next had studied and had passed down the truth and the prophecies about this coming Messiah, this coming King that they had learned from Daniel while he was serving in such a prominent position in Babylon. And it's amazing to consider how God used something like the appearance of a star, the appearance of some kind of celestial object in the sky to to launch and to guide these Gentiles on their journey to Christ. And remember that when they come to Jerusalem, they do not ask if the king has been born, only where is he? Where is this king who has been born? We saw his star. We know he has come. Where Do you know? Have you seen him? Do you know where he is right now? We've come to worship him. We've come to give gifts to him. These wise men are indeed wise men. They are correct. The king has been born and they are right to seek him. But all their questioning eventually attracts the attention of wicked King Herod. And so we read in verse 3, when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. Now stop there for just a moment. It's 
pretty obvious why Herod would be troubled at this news. He is scared, he is threatened at the possibility of a rival king. But why does the text say that all Jerusalem is troubled with him? Well, the Jews in Jerusalem have learned over time what Herod is capable of. They know that Herod will retaliate. He will strike with lethal force against any perceived threat or rival. The people in Jerusalem, upon hearing this news and hearing the questions and learning that Herod himself is troubled, they are troubled, probably asking themselves, well, what is Herod going to do now? I mean, what kind of mysterious accident are going to befall these individuals and people who are seen as a threat to Herod. What unfortunate accident is going to happen in the middle of the night? The people of Jerusalem were troubled because Herod is nuts. He's a madman. He's a slave to his lust for power. Much like the Grinch, he has all the tender sweetness of a seasick crocodile. And given the choice between the two of them, they would pick the seasick crocodile. These wise men have unknowingly entered into a very dangerous, lethal, difficult situation. So we read in verse 4, what is Herod going to do? Assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. Now this is interesting because obviously Herod has a horrible relationship with the Jewish religious leaders. They, they despised one another. But Herod, he was generally acquainted with the prophecies that a Messiah would come. And so he calls the religious leaders together to learn from them where the Messiah was supposed to be born. And as you would expect, the religious leaders, they know the answer. In fact, they're like, we know. That's an easy one. Herod, we can, we can answer that for you. Look at verse 5. They told him in Bethlehem of Judea. For so it is written by the prophet, that's the prophet Micah. He writes, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. That's an interesting choice of word, isn't it? Shepherd my people Israel. As opposed to what? As opposed to dominate, control, brutalize, manipulate, like Herod had done. So, what do we see here? Please note this on your outline. The bright, brilliant gift of Christ shines against this dark backdrop of idolatry and apathy. Idolatry and apathy. And the idolatry, it's, it's pretty easy to spot here. It's pretty easy to see Herod for who he is and for what he is. And if we're being honest, it's easy to see how at times we are tempted to be like Herod. We are tempted to be glory thieves. We are tempted to want control for ourselves. We are tempted to want the power, we are tempted continually to seek our own way. We are tempted to allow pride to rule in our hearts. That's easy to see. But there's also apathy in this text. There's indifference in this text. And we see it clearly in the religious leaders. And it's, it, is, it is shocking. 
And yet it so often gets ignored. It so often gets overlooked when we read this text. The scribes and the chief priests, they are summoned to appear before Herod. Herod asks them a question. They answer the question and then poof, they're gone. They just disappear from the text. Where did they go? I can tell you where they didn't go. They didn't go to Bethlehem. No, it seems like there is no curiosity. There is no interest on their part. Where's the Messiah to be born? Bethlehem. Okay, see you later. Have a good day. You would think that they would have said. You would think that they would have recognized. You know, Herod's not really a Bible study kind of guy. Why? You don't think. Why could he be asking? Surely not. Maybe we should take the six-mile journey to Bethlehem to see if it could be so. You would certainly think that amongst themselves they would have been asking, why does Herod want to know this? Why would he be curious about the birthplace of the Messiah? It is a sobering scene. It is a sobering dialogue that we witness here between Herod and the religious leaders. And it reminds us that just because you know the Bible doesn't mean that you actually love the Christ. doesn't mean that you love Jesus. Listen, just because you occasionally find yourself in church, that doesn't mean that Christ is in you. It, it, just because you are prepared to celebrate Christmas tomorrow doesn't mean that you are prepared for the coming of Christ when He comes again. The religious leaders, they knew much and they loved little. They remind us that true saving faith, it is not just about knowing the facts and knowing the details of the Christmas story or even of the account of Jesus' death and and burial and and crucifixion and, 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 and His resurrection. True saving faith is about trust, love, joy, dependence in and upon Christ, forsaking ourselves, turning away from our supposed goodness and finding life in Christ. In finding His righteousness credited to our account that we do not deserve, but it is freely given as a gift by Christ to those who trust in Him. Now, going back to our text How does Herod respond to what the religious leaders have told him? Look at verse 7. It says, Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. Stop there for just a moment. This is Herod's attempt to try to discern how old this newly born king would be. And sadly, he would later then use this knowledge to have all the male children who were two years old and younger killed in Bethlehem. Verse 8, we read this then. He sent them to Bethlehem saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. Please note this on your outline. We see, sadly, that Herod is blind. He is truly spiritually blind. His idolatry has made him suspicious, vindictive, and delusional. You cannot serve two masters. I think I've read that somewhere. You cannot serve two masters. And here Herod proves exactly what Jesus taught. 
You cannot serve two masters. Idolatry. It causes us to hate and to resent the gracious, true King. The gracious, true Lord. Herod is not Lord. He is not. He is not Lord. He is not sovereign. He is not ruler in any true sense of the word, but he would try to kill the Lord of glory. He would try to murder the light of the world. He would try to annihilate God in human flesh, but of course, he would fail. He would fail. And brothers and sisters, we should be reminded that that is a recurring theme for the enemies of God. Failure. Failure is a recurring theme for the enemies of God. There is no victory. There is no lasting hope or life to be found in opposing God. Herod loved his idols of wealth, power, money, status, and they killed him. They killed him. Herod refused to forsake those cheap, deceptive things in favor of the Christ who had come And he lost his soul for all eternity. That is a tragedy. That is a tragedy. Jesus, listen, Jesus was born an infant in Bethlehem to save us from ourselves. To save us from our cheap idols. To set us free to know Him, the King the Lord of life, the Lord of love, the one through whom the grace of God comes showering to us. As you think of Christ being born in Bethlehem, do not suppose Him to be weak. Do not suppose Him to be insignificant, shallow, something to be easily discarded or or rejected or treated as lawn ornaments and decorations he is king he is lord he is worthy of worship which is what the wise men show to us here in this text look at verse 9 says after listening to the king they went on their way and behold the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was Stop there for a moment. What luck, right? That that mysterious star that started it all. It's back. And now it's it's moving and it's guiding them to the very place where the child was. And of course, this is not luck. This is not luck. This is the gracious work of God leading and guiding these men to Jesus. And brothers and sisters, this is what the grace of God always does. It leads us and it guides us to Christ and it opens our eyes to see Him and to know Him and to love Him. Look at verse 10. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy, meaning they have supersized, mega, very large, great joy at seeing this star again. They had initially seen the star as they started their journey, and here it is again, leading them to the location of the king. Look at verse 11. And going into the house, because remember, Jesus is no longer in the stable, no longer in the manger, going into the house, They saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. They worshipped him. They worshipped Christ. Remember what God tells us. We are to worship 
no one but the true God. We are to worship God alone. And here they worship the child. They worship Christ and they are right to do so. And so we read in verse 11, then opening their treasures, meaning opening their treasure boxes that they have brought, they offered him gifts. Now, stop there for a moment. What a, what a funny picture that is. Jesus is the gift, the greatest gift that towers above every gift, the most glorious gift that defies explanation and description, and they give him gifts. Yes. Yes, they do. And praise God that they do, because their gifts help us to understand what a glorious gift this really is. So what do they offer him? They open their treasure box. They give him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. So here God is protecting these men from going back to Herod and he directs them back to their own country. And as far as we know, these wise men never appear again in Scripture. But please note this on your outline. They give to us a glorious picture. These wise men are joyful. They are purposeful. They are worshipful. They are worshipful. And while we don't know exactly how many wise men there were, we do know that they brought three gifts. Three gifts that are recorded in Scripture for our benefit, for our consideration. In God's good providence, they brought gold. They brought gold. Gold is a gift for a king. Gold is an extravagant gift. Gold is a gift that shows honor and respect and indeed Jesus is royalty. He is King of kings. He is Lord of lords. And so the question to us this morning is, how should you respond to a king like this? How should you respond to the true king who has humbled himself and come into the world? The answer is this, joyful, humble submission and gratitude. We should listen to His Word. We should honor Him and esteem Him and treasure Him and His Word. We should stand amazed at His power, amazed at His authority. We should marvel at His humility that He would lower Himself to come to save us. And, in God's good providence, they brought frankincense. Frankincense, not to be confused with Frankenstein. Frankincense, very costly and expensive incense. According to Leviticus chapter 2, it was to be used in worship. It was to be used in making and offering, uh, sorry, it was to be used in making offerings to God. Expressions of gratitude and worship and praise Unto God. We see this prescribed in Leviticus chapter 2. It was to happen at the tabernacle. It was to happen later at the temple. It's amazing that they would bring this gift to offer to Christ. It is equally significant that these wise men are pictured here as falling down on their faces before this child. These wealthy Powerful, highly esteemed wise men and magi are falling face down in worship before this Christ child. This entire scene, it's so 
powerfully testifies to the glory and to the divine nature of Jesus. It tells us he's not just worthy of their worship. He is worthy of your worship. He is worthy of our worship. May we humble ourselves before him this day and every day. But there's yet one more gift. In God's good providence, they also brought myrrh. Myrrh is a mildly expensive perfume. It was commonly used to prepare bodies for burial. In John 19, verse 39, we are told that myrrh was, in fact, used to prepare the body of Jesus after he was crucified, after he offered up himself as the final, perfect, completed sacrifice for sin. So, what should we think of this? How should we respond to this reminder of Jesus' mission that he was to come to die in our place for sins, that he would be buried, that he would rise triumphant on the third day. How should we respond? Faith, belief, trust, repentance, joy in him. Remember how we started in 2 Corinthians 9.15. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. Listen. While the gift of Jesus Christ is an inexpressible gift, it cannot be fully described. It cannot be fully detailed. We cannot know the full depths and, and the riches of it. Okay, It is an inexpressible gift. That is true. But it is a gift that you must respond to nonetheless. Even though you cannot understand the immense glory and the immense eternality of this gift, God calls you nonetheless to respond to this gift. To respond to what you do understand to be true of Christ. To what you do understand to know of Him and His life and His mission. Don't be like Herod, who responded in idolatry, pride, anger, self-reliance, defiance, that he would live his wife, his, he would live his life his way on his terms for his glory. Do not respond that way. Do not respond like the scribes and the chief priests who had so much knowledge, but who seemed to have so much apathy, who seemed to have so much smugness and self-confidence. Be like the wise men who responded in joy and worship and adoration and let that joy, let that worship, let that adoration direct your life. Let it guide your life this day and every day. We're going to pray in just a moment. Use this time to tell your gracious God just how good He is. How much you appreciate and adore Him for sending His Son. If you've never called out to Him and asked Him to save you, to forgive you based upon the life and the death and the resurrection of Christ, do that today. Do that now. If you if you would like to talk with someone, to pray with someone, we'll be available down front and at the doors as you leave. This is the greatest decision you can make to worship Christ, to treasure Him, to follow Him. Make the most of this time. Let's pray.
Gracious Father, we do give you praise and thanksgiving for who you are. Thank you for sending your Son. Thank you for leaving us this record of truth. Thank you for the fact that this morning we could, we could read from Luke chapter 2. We could read from Galatians 4. We could read from Matthew chapter 2 to understand something of the grace and glory of Christ. And Father, while, while we don't understand the full extent and the full glory of Christ, Father, may we respond to the truth that has been revealed to us. May we respond in joy, in faith, in trust, in gratitude, and in repentance. God, may we turn away from the cheap idols that try to distract us from the glory of Christ. Father, I pray that even now, bring to our minds those things that we need to turn from, that we may know and love and follow Christ in a more full and complete way. And Father, if there's anyone here today who does not yet know Christ as Lord and Savior, may this be the day of their salvation. May they call out to you for life and forgiveness all in Christ and because of him. Lord, we love you and we pray this in Jesus' good name. Amen.